Good morning. I'm Kristen Loney. Today, we will be reading from Colossians 3, 22 through 4, 6, which can be found on page 984 in the Pew Bible. Colossians 3, 22 through 4, verse 6. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Well, thanks, everyone. Hey, if we've met, I'm Chris. Uh, we take time to introduce ourselves just so you know kind of who's here because we care about you being here. There's actually a little visitor card there in front of you that we'd love to hear some of your story, and I'd love to get to know you some. And so um, just by way of hospitality, my name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors. Uh, we are in our last week in a series in Colossians uh, where we've been going is really talking about what the difference um, makes or what is the difference of being in Christ or what does it mean for somebody to actually Trust in Jesus, how does that shape their entire life? It's a passage that we use a lot as a church to find our way, thinking through what does it mean to actually just essentially follow Jesus. And, and as you work through Colossians 3.1 to where we finished up in 4.6, you'll see like 10 targets that we kind of aim at. One is the gospel message of Jesus, to focus first as a church on who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And Colossians 3.1-4 says it's being hidden with Christ in God, it's what changes us to be raised with him is to be forgiven of our brokenness and sin and to be made new. So that's where transformation starts. That's where our church starts focusing is around who Jesus is and the message that he has brought to us to bring new life. And then we acknowledge in the next section, chapter 3, verses 5 to 11, that we don't always honor him. We don't always live into that love. We don't always trust him. We trust other things. So there's this call to repentance or to honesty, to be open about the ways that we've pursued other things. So we spend some time as a church every Sunday confessing our sin. Even that, that uh, thing from Colossians 3 that Chad had us read, we've done now for six weeks in a row, just trying to get the language of this passage into our hearts, giving us a, a range of where our hearts might drift, giving us permission to be honest, because the more honest we are, the more we can be healed, the more we can come to Jesus for actually not just salvation, but, but for cleansing and, and for hope and for help. So, so we spend time as a church trying to be honest, and there's a call there to repentance in the next section in Colossians. 
And then it's not just trust Jesus and stop doing bad things. The next section calls us to put on identities that are rooted in Jesus. And they look like something, look like compassionate hearts and tenderness and kindness and forgiving one another and bearing with each other. It's things that happen when you no longer are building your own identity, have to protect and manage yourself. You now can actually be free to trust Jesus so you can be wronged and still be in relationship. You can, you can wrong somebody and you can humble yourself and ask for forgiveness. You can be generous and kind and share. It's not a threat to your core identity because your identity has been rooted in Jesus. So, so that's the next section in Colossians 3, 12 to 17. And in that section two, you see some practices. You see a call to be in the word, to be in the scriptures, to, to be in community, to actually worship together. And then you read in chapter four to pray together. So there's these Three spheres of trusting the gospel, looking to Jesus, repenting of other things we've trusted in, and then learning to walk by the Spirit. That's how transmission happens. And we engage in the Word and prayer and worship and community. It's why we pray every Sunday. A member will come up and just lead us in a time of reflection, asking God to speak. And it's the hope there is not just that you're being prayed over, but that you get a chance to pray, that you're bringing your heart to God. And I realize not everybody in the room is a follower of Jesus, and it's an invitation to you to ask for God to speak to you and ask Him to come close to you and Bring the burdens of your heart uh, in the room to a God who listens and cares. And so, so that's what we're trying to do as a church, these four practices. And then the text goes on to describe three spheres that we live in or three places where we live out our life. It goes to personal relationships in verses 3, 18 to 21. It talks about marriage and parenting. And we talk about personal relationships. Of course, there's a word there to those who aren't married or, or singles or they're now widowed or widowers. You don't have to have children for this to apply. It's, a, it's the space where you're most seen and known to live out the transformation in the nearest context of your life. And then it goes from there to social and vocational settings. We just read about words to masters and to slaves, which we just have to stop for a second, let the record scratch for a moment and go, whoa, are we, are we still talking like that? Are we still talking about slaves and masters? And remember in the ancient world what an amazing word this would be, that there would be slaves and masters sitting together in the same space is profound and revolutionary. And because of who Jesus is, we learn in verse 11, there's no longer slave and free and Jew and Gentile and outsiders and insiders. We're all one in Christ. And so there's a a message here subversively to see the gospel transformation flip our social structures upside down. And the good news is if you find yourself in oppressed situations, God still cares for you. The gospel still applies to where you are. You don't have to be liberated or change the social settings around you to actually have gospel application. He's talking in a really keen way to those who find themselves in a disadvantaged position that God cares about them. And then he speaks to those in that advantaged position. He reminds masters that they have a master. And so if our identity is in Jesus, not in our social settings, it would radically change how you deal with people in different social contexts than you. So there's application just to the the places that you live your life, the social and vocational spaces, and and see in that the gospel just making application to your very real life. It's not theories. It's not stuff that stays in this room. Those are contexts that happen outside of this room. And the third sphere is this context with with outsiders, those who don't know Jesus, those who aren't, aren't yet familiar with the gospel or haven't yet accepted the gospel. Paul says, as you live your life in that space, be, be prayerful, be, be watching, be walking with him, speak the truth of the gospel, think about people that don't yet know Jesus so that we are to be a, an outward-facing people. That's the text that we've been kind of living into, and it is the core truths that our church kind of centers on. 
And that idea that it starts with the gospel means that we really do preach kind of the same message every single week. It's real, real familiar to talk about who Jesus is and then to make application to the spaces where, where you live your life. So, so that's where we've been. Let me just for a second tell you where we're going. If this is the last sermon in this series, we're talking about being an outward-facing people. Next week, we do start this journey towards Easter in the season of Lent. And maybe you're not familiar at all with what that means, or maybe you have some religious background or some traditions and you've heard of Lent before. But essentially, it's six weeks leading up to Easter. If you were to subtract the Sundays, it's 40 days leading up to Easter, starting this Wednesday with Ash Wednesday. And it's a chance for God's people to engage in a couple of things. One is lament, to talk about the brokenness of the world, why we needed Jesus to come and die on the cross, which we celebrate on Good Friday, the Friday before Easter, and why we have hope for the future because of his resurrection. But in this meantime, as we wait for a second coming, we get a chance to just be honest. So Lent is a season marked with lament where you can be honest about the brokenness of your body, the brokenness of your relationships, the brokenness of your desires, and the things you long to see God do in the world. It's also a time of repentance, to be honest about the things that we've pursued other than God. And we've taken our eyes off of his resurrection and his cross and what he's provided for us. And so so it's it's a season of like literal, regular repentance, searching our hearts. And not to feel bad, not just for shame, But that call to repentance is a call to freedom and to liberation. So when you see passages that invite us to be honest and to repent, it's always meant for your freedom and liberation. Because the scriptures say that sin is not just stuff that you shouldn't do, that good people don't do. It's it's death, it says. So for Christians to think for a moment about where they've kind of lost sight of the goodness of God and have looked at other things to be good for them. We just have an extended season leading up to the sacrifice of Jesus that we celebrate at the end of that time coming into Easter and go, oh, I still need to be transformed. I still need to to be changed and and hoped, kind of God moving inside my heart in ways that would be something that would bring about some change. So so it's lament and it's confession. It's also this longing. Uh, We cultivate just this idea that Jesus promised to return and we desire his full coming of the kingdom. And so God's people kind of look to where they are now, but they also look forward and ask for God to come. And I want to invite you into this season, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. It'll be a really meaningful time for you to slow down, kind of quiet your heart, be, be honest about where you are and what you need. And there's some things we're trying to plan as a community that would help you to engage. So it starts Wednesday night with our Ash Wednesday service. Um, And we've kind of moved as a church. The first time we had an Ash Wednesday service, it was in COVID. So we had an Ash-less Ash Wednesday service, which you have to be careful as you say that, but we did an Ash Wednesday service (laughs) without ashes. This year, we've actually burned the palm leaves from last year's Palm Sunday to engage in our ashes. So this is like a level up from where we've been in the past. But but Ash Wednesday is uh, an invitation, believers or not, to come and be honest about your humanity. Scriptures say that we come from the dust and we'll return to the dust. And it gives you a chance just to take a deep breath and say, in all the striving I have, God sees me as a human and he welcomes me. He knows my brokenness and my failures and my frailty. And he asks me to come to him for healing and for wholeness. So that, that will be uh, this Wednesday night. There will be lots of psalms that we'll read. It will be a kind of a quieter night. We'll sing some songs and we'll end with what's called the imposition of ashes, where if you're wanting to, you can have this kind of sign on your forehead with these ashes, just as a physical way to 
represent what's happening spiritually. So I want to invite you to that. We'll have a good Friday service as well, which is the Friday before Easter. So if you fast forward, we'll talk that night about the death, burial of Jesus, his betrayal, his trial. We'll read through the account of John to think through kind of what he went through and what that means for us. So, so that's the season that's coming up for us. Of course, Easter Sunday will be the celebration, but we want to be honest first before we uh, talk about why he came and died and what he proved in his resurrection. So we'll do two services on Easter uh, there'll be a, uh, an 8.30 and there'll be a 10.30, or is it a 9 and 10.30? 9 and 10.30. I'm going to declare right now, we'll do a 9 and a 10.30 on Easter Sunday, uh, which will be, will be a fun celebration for you to come, bring friends. That, that'll be those regular services. And then we wanted to add some just times of prayer. If I'm saying it's a time of lament and confession and longing, uh, we're going to add a Thursday morning prayer time from 6.30 to 7.15 It'll meet downstairs. It'll be super obvious where to go. Uh, so before work, you could come. And if you're a parent, you could trade off who gets to come those mornings. Someone can get the kids ready. Someone else can come and pray. But we'll sing just a little bit, and we'll spend 45 minutes together just praying and asking for God to speak to us. And again, you don't have to be a follower of Jesus to come and be a part of that, but would invite you to come those Thursday mornings. And then we're going to keep our Thursday at noon prayer time as well. So there'll be two chances to pray with other people on Thursday. That meets downstairs as well. In the back of your reading guide, you'll, you'll see some of those things there. You can mark those dates down. And there's one more service that's going to be special for us. Uh, we'll do a, a worship night on the 20th of March. It's a Wednesday night. That'll be in this room with kind of our musicians. Um, and then also the Monday of Holy Week. I think it's the 25th. We're going to host what's called the Golgotha Experience. Uh, there's a band called Poor Bishop Hooper that's put together essentially the Stations of the Cross through song where we get a chance just to reflect together. So we'll start Holy Week with that service. That'll be in this room as well. So if you didn't grab a reading guide, make sure you grab that. All that's there. And the reading guide will walk you through where we're going in our sermons because we're going to spend our time in what's called the Upper Room Discourse. So it's the, the last sermon that Jesus gave to his followers. It's in John 13 to 17. So we thought it fitting as we think about this season and coming into these last hours of Jesus' life, preparing for his death, burial, and resurrection to just focus on what he was focusing on, the final words that he was giving to his followers. And so that reading guide will keep you kind of in step with where the sermons are going. We're essentially just going to cover a chapter a week, and you'll see some complementing text, both from the Old and New Testament, around some of those themes. So if you never read the Bible before, this would be a great way for you just to start that journey with us. There's some passages, roughly a chapter a day, five days of the week, just to engage together, kind of quieting your heart, making some, some space. Because Lent normally has with it some sort of fast, some sort of focus, whether that's social media or TV or food or some sort of beverage. There's, there's something that you normally give up to help you cultivate space in your heart. And it's not penance and it's not something that makes God love you more, but it's simply saying, I'm, I live in a really crowded world that's pretty full. And if you're not careful, you'll go through days and weeks not actually being quiet enough to hear what's happening inside your heart. So for followers of Jesus and those who are seeking God to fast for a moment is to remove something on purpose, even a good thing, like food is a good thing, drink is a good thing. There's places where social media can be used in really good ways. So you remove something that can be good so that you can cultivate some sort of longing. So that's not, again, a religious ritual that makes you right with God. But if you've never fasted before, you could consider like one meal, like one day of that week. 
and let that hunger just for a moment remind you of what's true spiritually. So I want to invite you to engage that with us. And we'll give you lots of freedom. We probably won't even like ask you to give a report on how you did or anything like that. We just want to welcome you in and say, hey, what if you took time these next six weeks to quiet your heart, admitted some of the longings that you have, were honest about the things that feel jagged and broken, so that you could actually be honest about the brokenness inside your soul and then bring that to Jesus. That would be the journey that we want to go on together as a church. So, so join us then Wednesday night. If you have questions, would love to talk about it. I took some time there because I realize not everybody's very familiar with that time, but it's a really important season for the life of the church, and we want to slow down together so that we're spring-loaded for the resurrection celebration on Easter Sunday. And in fact, just the last little thing I'll give you. Normally what the church has done is fasted those six days of the week and then Sundays are like celebration days. Uh, you don't need to be gluttonous on those days, but when you think about denying yourself something for six days, every Sunday we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus as we gather. And so those are our celebration days where you break that fast, come on Sunday morning, celebrate together for those six weeks leading up to Easter. I want to just invite you into that rhythm, and I wonder what God might do in your soul if you had some intentionality there. Uh, if that freaks you out or you have questions, let's talk about it, but um, I think it could be really beautiful for you. So that's, that's where we're going starting next week. We'll be in John 13. Now I'll introduce the sermon after that. Um, I thought about giving up long sermon introductions for Lent as part of my fast. We'll, uh, we'll see how that goes. Hey, essentially what I want to do, <laughs> thank you, thank you. My name's Chris, I'm one of the pastors, I'm glad you guys are with us. Um, okay, hey, so, so Colossians chapter 4, because I walked through all of that at the beginning, both of Colossians now, we can just dive into this text. Essentially what's happening in this passage is the Apostle Paul is ending the letter where he began it actually with a call to prayer. If you haven't been with us, we've been kind of journeying through this, and we started with the beginning of Colossians, just this beautiful declaration of the preeminence of Jesus, of his glory, of his goodness. But Paul starts in chapter 1 with a prayer. He starts with asking God to move and to speak. And so as he comes into the close of his book, he wants to go back there and invite them to pray. So it's kind of this bookends of dependence. And he wants to aim those prayers towards those who don't yet know Jesus, which is where that prayer starts in chapter 1. If you were to flip over just one page, I won't read it for the sake of time, but if you were to write down Colossians 1, 3 to 13, what you'll see there is that he's asking them to, to acknowledge the beauty of what's happened in their life. They were on the outside, and God's radically changed them. He's the one who qualifies them to be in a relationship. He's the one who actually welcomes this and, and loves them. And they, they're changing and growing. He's been basically saying, I'm praying and thanking God for the transformation that I see in your life. The work that God did in you that you did not produce on your own. And in that space, what we see is he's now bookending it to remind us, hey, this whole thing is bathed in prayer, kind of rooted in prayer. Prayer does something to us to acknowledge the frailty that we have, our need for God, our, our very humanity. When you pray, you're declaring, I have needs. I'm not self-sufficient. I can't make myself go. I, I can't fix this, which is hard for us as humans. The idolatrous nature of our hearts so badly wants to be in control, so badly wants to rescue ourselves. Even though we have all these broken attempts and there's shrapnel all over the place, we still try over and over and over again to be self-reliant. But if the passage is calling us to be in Christ, to make that our identity, then prayer becomes a natural reflex for us. 
If your identity is rooted in who Jesus is, then asking for his help, acknowledging your dependence, saying, I think you care about this. I know that you're alive. I know that you can hear. I know you can do something about this. That prayer becomes a reflex. And the opposite would also be true. Right? If you're in something else, if you're finding identity in your job or in your relationships or in your performance or in your past or in your capacities for your future, whatever you're finding yourself hidden in, whatever you're looking to for identity, that might lead you not to a reflex of prayer, but a reflex of, of self-reliance. A reflex maybe not of honesty, but dishonesty to cover over your tracks where you haven't been very consistent. I wonder if there's a connection between our lack of prayer and what we're finding ourselves in, what we see as our primary identity. Because this is not a brand new topic, it's a continuation of the topics that Paul has been talking about. Prayer is the natural reflex for those who are in Christ. And he's aiming these prayers at those who don't yet know Jesus, asking for courage to share, for open doors to share. And so it's really a, a prayer about being an outward-facing people, a people that look outside themselves. Scotty Smith talks about the heart being concave. It's like inward focus. All of us are kind of born narcissistic. Sin is incredibly narcissistic. It's very self-focused. Your heart is bent inward. And what the gospel does is gives us convex hearts that are, that are bent outward, where, where the, the contour is moving away from ourselves into the actual world. And so it's beautiful to think about the followers of Jesus coming to a, a letter here giving instructions to them saying, hey, remember what's true about who you are, what you need, and ask for God to make you an outward-facing people. As I prayed for you, I have in my mind there's like four kinds of people in the room. Even a question about outsiders, it's, it's in verse 5 of chapter 4. Let your eyes go there. If you want to pull it up on your phone or that pew Bible in front of you there, it's on page 985. If you closed it like 20 minutes ago before I started the sermon. He says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. I wrestle with that word. It feels like a, an exclusive word or something that would push, push somebody out. We, we always think in terms of in and out. But I want you to understand, in the Bible, it's not so much like good people and bad people. It's not nice people and mean people. The Bible talks about there's two kinds of people. There are those who are in Christ and those who are outside of Christ. But all of us once were outside of Christ. There's no good people that on their own were, were doing fine by themselves. All of us were on the outside and God welcomed us on the inside. And so I have in my mind those of you in the room and those of you watching online or, or listening who are searching after Jesus. And so to hear a message about being an outward-facing people, I just want to acknowledge it might be kind of strange. Christians are not talking about you know, working their downline or getting their, their kind of resume up or assuaging guilt by sharing the gospel enough. What Christians are doing when they talk about sharing with the outside world is sharing the good news of what Jesus has done to rescue anyone who would receive. And, and that's you. So I've been praying for you. A, a message on the church being outward-facing would hit you if you're on the outside hit you as an invitation to come in. Jesus is calling you. He cares about you. This whole, this whole letter is written to people who once were on the outside, who trusted Jesus for their righteousness. He forgave them. He cleansed them. He welcomed them into his family. And he is changing and transforming them. And there's an invitation to you this morning if you are on the outside to come, to come in. Again, not, not bad people, uh, not non-religious people. There's those who are in Christ and those who are outside of Christ. 
Another group I've prayed for is those who, are, who actively are sharing their faith. You see the world the way Jesus sees it. You, you see people as eternal beings who, who have souls and you are praying for your children and for your neighbors and for your coworkers and for your parents and for your friends. You're, you're constantly asking God to work and move and maybe you feel some real fatigue. We have people in our church who've been praying for the same people for over 40 years. Praying that God would move, praying that God would work. And these are people that they dearly love, they desperately love. I don't know the math on that, but just one prayer a day for 40 years, that's a lot of prayers. So I'm praying for those of you who are seeing the world the way it really is, knowing there are outsiders that God wants to bring in, that you would be encouraged this morning. You would hear fresh that God cares more than you do about those who don't yet know him, and he's working actively to draw people to himself. Jesus is the kind of God who, who's an outward-facing God. The incarnation shows us his heart to go towards those who are not yet on the inside. And we read in passages like in Luke 15 that he rejoices. He seeks after the lost and he with joy rejoices when they come in. So that's the heart of God. Not standing with a clipboard, measuring you and weighing you. He comes in the flesh to welcome you to himself. And he died in your place as a way to make it possible for you to come to faith in him. That's to the outsiders, but also to those who are praying for those on the outside to hear the good news that God actually cares. He, he knows, he sees, and he is at work. So that's the second kind of person. A third kind of person is, is a sleepy kind of person. You're in the room, you say you follow Jesus, uh, but you rarely think about the outside world. You rarely think about the world as it truly exists. And this passage has something to say to you to, like, to be watched, to, to be alert, to be, to be on guard, to kind of wake up to the realities of what it is that you're surrounded by eternal beings. And there's a fourth kind of person that you're far from sleepy, you're anxious, you're on overdrive, you're, you're watching all the time, you're, you're hypervigilant, you are actually kind of overwhelmed with what's happening around you. And even what's happening inside our church. So I've actually prayed for a fourth kind of person who, who the thought of like welcoming more people here just feels so overwhelming. And if you're visiting, let me just stop for a second. Like Our church has grown really fast over the last three years, after being in decline for a number of decades, God was kind and answered again these prayers that people have been praying for 20 and 30 years. It's beautiful to see what's happened, but, but the fast growth has been fairly traumatic and overwhelming. It'd be like maybe if you're praying for a baby and all of a sudden you get like quintuplets and you're like, man, we, we got what we prayed for and holy smokes, this has been pretty challenging. So we went from like 40 or 50 people to like 400 people in about three years which has been really fun. And if you've been here, uh, it stopped being like only fun quite a while ago and became a little bit unsettling to kind of figure out how do we manage all of this. And as our staff has kind of prayed through that and thought about this passage in particular, this call to be an outward facing people, we just want to own the fact that it's possible that the growth has like malformed us a little bit. That we've actually spent time wondering like, how do we keep from growing? And you wouldn't like, well, some of you do say it out loud, but a but few, few of you will say it out loud. But you, you kind of wonder, like, man, is there enough space? Like, if more people come, what does that mean for me? And it's almost like this is a, a refugee camp. And you know the more refugees we welcome, there's not more beans and rice. We're going to have to spread things thin. And so there's something about our hearts sometimes when we're called to be outward facing, when we don't feel settled. It's just good to own the fact that sometimes we can be malformed even by growth. So like every time we get a spot where we're getting close to capacity and I'll say something like, and I'll just ask you to pray. I'll say, hey, as we think about where we are, would you begin praying with us about two services? We normally drop like 80 people the next Sunday. 
There's something about it of like, man, I don't know. I don't know what I want to do in a place like this. So I just want to own a fourth kind of person that when you hear be outward facing, it makes you nervous. And for, for lots of reasons, but I have a particular burden for our particular church because I think the growth could have malformed us where we've stopped asking God to reach and welcome people and we've started wondering, can we maintain what's here? Can we just kind of sit in this space and kind of hold it all together? And I think this morning, one of the prayers I have, one of the desires I have is that God would open our eyes back up to those who desperately need to hear him because I, I don't care about church growth but how big we get or the numbers that we have. I desperately care about people that don't know Jesus hearing the good news so they can be saved and converted. Some of you guys are in the room, praise God. You're, you're here wondering if God's real, and so hear the good news like, man, you're welcome. I'm talking to the family in just a moment here, which again is making this super awkward for you, but, but in the space to just hear like, God really cares about you, we really care about you, and can we open our eyes up to the world around us? That's where I want us to go in this message. And I want to do it just really fast. I want to do it really, really simply. So there are four things in this text that I think give us a, a pattern or a posture or help us cultivate an outward focus. There's four things rooted around some verbs in this passage. So we're going to focus on chapter 4, verses 2 to 6. And I'm not trying to sidestep the slave master's text there. I, we preached a full sermon on it last year in February. Uh, I want to kind of help you kind of go that space to hear us talk about that more. Even in that space that Jesus came to, to welcome folks, there are passages even in this text where slaves are now seen as brothers. So maybe just let your eyes go to chapter 4, verse 9. There's this guy named Onesimus there. If you're familiar with the Bible, in the book of Philemon, Onesimus was a slave. And, and now he's in this space where he's actually a beloved brother, it says. So the Bible is moving towards welcoming those on the outside. Jesus is an outward-facing God. In Luke 4, he says he came to set captives free, to come and liberate those that are in bondage. So, so it's actually very near the heart of God to think about those who are enslaved now. And most statistics would say there's, there's more people in versions of slavery in the modern world now than there ever was in the ancient world, which is fascinating to think about. So God cares about that very much. We care about that very much. The text cares about that very much. I'm going to focus on a broader category of those who are outside of Jesus. But man, I would love the dialogue with you if you want to process what the church has done, how we've messed things up when it comes to racial and social issues. That really matters. Again, that sermon in February will help. But, but I want to focus our attention to chapter 4, verses 2 to 6. Okay, here's the words I want you to see. Look with me in verse 2. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Just write the word prayer down or circle that. And then he says, being watchful. So just circle the word watchful. If you drop down to verse 5, he says that we should walk in wisdom. Would you circle or write the word walk down? So prayer, watch, walk. And then in verse 6, he says, let your speech always be gracious. So we just write the word speak or circle that word speech. When we think about being an outward-facing people, I think the text isn't exhaustive for sure, but it's super helpful to just give us some handholds to say, what would it mean for us to be an outward-facing people? And it would involve us praying, us watching, us walking, and us speaking. I think these are things that we could lean into as a people, and as we think about what it means to engage that, I want you to hear from one of our members in a moment that I, I think embodies some of this, but let me just quickly acknowledge a couple of things. 
Come in verse 2 of chapter 4. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. There's a general call to prayer. And then he says in verse 3, At the same time, pray also for us that God may open up a door for the world to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. All right, so Paul's in a difficult space. He's in prison. He's asking for grace to share the good news. The mystery of Christ is the message that God is welcoming all outsiders. If you're taking notes, you can go to Ephesians chapter 3, where he says this is the mystery of Christ, that God always was welcoming the entire world. Because you read the Old Testament and God's working with this particular family group, the, the Jews or the Israelites. And so there was this question of does God care about the whole world? And what you see as Jesus comes on the scene is that he's opening up the kingdom past this family line to welcome Jews and Gentiles alike. That is the mystery of Christ. And Ephesians says this was always God's plan. It was always there, even in the Old Testament, even though we misunderstood it or we misapplied it. This message of Christ is to welcome all the world to himself. So he says, would you pray? And would you pray for opportunity? Would you pray for chances to share? Would you pray for doors to be open so that this message of Jesus can go forward? Again, when you pray, you're saying a couple of really important things. One is that you know you're dependent. But you're also praying that you know God cares, that He's real, that He hears. And what an amazing way to start being outward facing simply to pray. So so who's in your circle? Who's in your cubicle next to you? Who's in your home with you, who lives in your neighborhood, who's on your family tree, who, who's from your past, who is it in your world that you could begin simply praying for, asking for God to work, asking for open doors, asking for him to, to move your heart towards him and for him to draw them to himself. So, so he just starts being outward facing simply with prayer. I don't want to cut that short. I think that's the most profound thing we can do. As we think about our goals for the next year as a church and even these extra spaces of prayer during Lent, like we desperately want to be the kind of people that are seeing God work through prayer and acknowledging our dependence. But, but prayer is where he starts this little journey. Hey, would you pray for those who don't know Jesus and continue to pray for those who don't know Jesus. Those of you who have been praying for decades, don't lose heart. God cares. He hears. He's at work. He's moving. He's big. The whole kingdom belongs to him. Keep praying for those in your life that they might hear, that you might share, that God might draw them to himself. And if you're in the room and you're going like, well, what do I do with that if I don't know Jesus? I know that there's people praying for you probably, but I think you could also pray for yourself. You could ask for God to reveal himself to you, ask for God to speak to you, ask for him to, to make himself known if he is real. Just come out of your academic head just for a moment and think about the invisible God that you're wondering if he's real and just talk to him and ask him to speak to you. Pray and ask him to open up his word, open up your heart, open up uh, who he is to you to draw you to himself. You could pray for yourself. You could keep praying for those who don't yet know Jesus. So so pray is the first thing. And then he says there again in verse 2, to be watchful. And it's an interesting passage. It means to like keep alert is the way you would translate that. Several different translations would would say it like that. So to, to keep alert, to stay awake to what's true. Colossians 3 starts with this idea of setting our mind on things that are above. It's the same way of saying, would you keep your mind open to the idea that this is an eternal space where there are beings around you who will live for forever, either in eternal punishment, paying the consequence for their own sin, or in eternal relationship with God. Everyone around you is an eternal being. So would would you be watchful? Would you be alert? Would you keep your eyes open? Don't fall asleep. Jesus will use similar language in Matthew 26 
41, it's when he's in the garden praying right before he goes to the cross. And he tells the disciples to pray and watch. Would you pray and would you stay alert? Would you keep your eyes open? Would you be mindful of what's happening around? And would you watch for chances to share? Would you be alert to the questions people are asking you? Would you you be alert to the people in your life that God may have placed there? Remember Paul saying, hey, I'm in prison. Other places he says this prison space here has been an opportunity for God to welcome people into the kingdom as he's sharing the gospel with the guards that he's chained to, he says in the book of Philippians. So there's a space where you're just watching like, who's in my life? Why are they around? Can I be alert to what they need? And can I think about conversations that are rooted in the human longing and the human experience, asking God to work and to move in those spaces? Someone shares a grief, someone shares a loss, someone shares a question, to take this kind of curious posture, wondering what God might be doing, and be willing to actually share the good news of Jesus in that space. But it would take you keeping your eyes open to, to, to be alert, not just inward focused, again, this concave shape of our heart apart from God, to be convex, to ask what might God be doing around me is a key reality to being outward facing. So, so be watchful, he says, and to do it with thanksgiving, which means that you, you trust God's at work. You trust wherever you are, God's doing something. And some of you are in really difficult situations. And to be alert in those spaces with thanksgiving is to acknowledge there's a God who loves you, who's journeying with you in this valley of the shadow of death that you might be in. He's there with you in that space. So even when it's hard, even when it's dark, even when it's difficult, even when it's confusing, to keep awake, to keep alert, to keep watching is the second thing that he names. And then he says to to walk in verse 5. It's a word that means something about your lifestyle, to to, to be wise. Other passages say like like to live in wisdom towards outsiders, to to live wisely to those who don't yet know God. It means to, to have a lifestyle that's asking, how does the gospel apply to the situation? How do I think about where I'm at and what they need? And how do I engage relationally with this person to bring the good news of Jesus to this situation. The suburbs are tricky places where, where the needs that we have are just below the surface, but they are ever real, and you know this. There's not a monetary poverty in most of the spaces where you live, although some of us are in those spaces. Some of that is your reality. It's not just those other people. That's you as well that have those kind of monetary needs. But most of us have like a relational poverty. There, there's a space where we just feel isolated and alone. There, there's hidden addiction all around you. There are places where people feel overwhelmed when it comes to the lifestyle they've been told they need to make themselves happy, trying to keep up with that. That's now crushing them with a heavy, heavy load. And to be wise to live with people on the outside world is to bring answers to the longings of those situations, the heart that says, hey, if I just had enough relationships, I'll be fine. If I had enough possessions, I'll be fine. If I just could have enough soothing and comfort, I'd be fine. To walk wisely there is to speak the truth of the gospel of of a God who meets that relational need, of a God who could actually comfort and could soothe, of a God who could actually provide in the spaces where they feel overwhelmed. To be wise in those spaces is to make application of the gospel to their situations. And you don't have to be intrusive. You don't have to be offensive. You can be curious. You can ask questions. You You can listen. You can be compassionate. To to walk with people in wisdom surely would mean understanding the human condition because you understand your own human condition. Followers of Jesus, do you remember what it was like not to believe? 
Do you remember the spaces where there was this isolation, this kind of palatable aloneness? There was this season of darkness where you, you didn't know what to do. Can you let compassion raise up in your heart and to walk in wisdom towards those who don't yet know Jesus? And it's true this is going to cost us. Paul says he's in prison for this. There, there's, there's a cost to that which takes us to this fourth thing to when we actually begin to speak we're speaking kingdom realities. We're speaking against the kingdom of this world to another king who deserves our allegiance. That will create conflict. It will create tension in relationships. And yet there's this call to verbally speak in verse 6. So, so we pray, we watch, we walk, and then we speak. We actually share verbally the good news of Jesus. Romans 10 says, how can someone believe someone they've never heard of? And how could they actually hear unless someone goes and tells them? There's this call to articulate the good news of the gospel and not necessarily with slick and perfect words or things that rhyme or have things that spell stuff out. You don't have to worry about the technique and the strategy. If our hearts are curious and they are compassionate, God will put you in spaces where you could speak about the hope of Jesus. This, this mystery of Christ that God was welcoming outsiders in. He says you have to articulate that so that people can actually hear the good news. I don't know where you find yourself, but, but being outward facing involves that. It involves asking for God to work. It involves seeing people clearly. It involves living in wisdom, understanding the human condition, and then verbally articulating what it means to actually trust Him. And as a people, like some of us will need to quit our jobs to go overseas to tell people. Some of us will keep giving financially to support those who are doing that. But there's a way of being outward facing right where you live, in your neighborhood, with the job that you have, with the family you have, in the situation that you're in. I'm eager for you to see God desires all of us to be outward facing regardless of your vocation, your age, where you are in your stage of life. All of us can pray. All of us can watch. All of us can walk. All of us can speak. And so, so with that, I want you to hear from some folks in our church. You actually met them earlier, the palmateers who are here. I want them to come and kind of share with you for a moment. When I thought about telling stories of people in our church who are embodying some of this. I thought about David and Tori. Um, they've got two little girls that you met earlier. And uh, let me acknowledge they don't want to do this. <laughs> uh, as we talked about this, I was like, hey, I know your preference is to be behind the scenes and to be quiet in the way that you're engaging in the world around you. But would you serve us as a church for a minute just to give us a picture of what it could look like to engage in the outside world where we find ourselves. So here's what I want you to hear about their story. They're just like normal people. They're, they're just like you. Uh, they're involved in some things that we do here at the church, but they have a habit and have created margin in their life to be involved in things outside of our church as well. They just have desires that they've pursued on their own, which I thought cast a great vision for us as they've just watched the world around them and seen needs and been willing to move towards them. There's something really beautiful about that. If I need to do something different, just let me know. Are we, are we cool? Just keep going? All right. Thank you. Um, I hear something, but maybe no. Yeah, oh, everybody does. Too. Welcome. It's the spirit, as it were, <laughs> among us. That's a terrible joke. Sorry. Um, okay, I want you to just hear from them for a second. So, so that's my introduction of you guys. Thank you for serving us. And I know like, um, it wasn't your first choice to come and talk about what you've been doing uh, that God's called you to. But, but can you just talk for a second about what, what it is that kind of God has you doing, where you are involved in the city, um, and maybe how that got started as we, uh, as we get going? Do you want to start? Sure, okay. sure. Um, so we kind of broke things down based, like, pre-kids, 
because that was like a different season of life and we did lots of things in that and then um, afterwards. <clears throat> so in the past we've done Big Brothers, Big Sisters. Um, we were licensed foster parents and we did respite care for members of our church. Um, and we were just involved in other ministries through our church. Uh, we moved away to New Orleans. We lost our license to foster care. And when we came back, we kind of like, we talked through, is that something we want to do again? And at the time, it was just not really realistic for us to do that. Um, so we just started serving foster families in our church. A lot of uh, babysitting and um, practically just giving things to families as, as they brought kids into their homes. Um, when our girls started into school, so our, our girls go to Blue Valley Public Schools, um, I just started helping in the PTO. And just as they kind of went out into other organizations like Girl Scouts and things, just kind of serving in those places. Um, when we came over to Hope, we heard about Johnson County uh, IHN, and so we just kind of jumped into that. And it's then a homeless, it's a homeless ministry. Yes, a, homeless ministry. Um, so we jumped into that and started serving there. Just, just really excited. There's not a lot of opportunities to get kids involved in a lot of things, and so that was something that I was excited to be able to do that with our girls and serve in that way. And then we transitioned over to Hillcrest. Um, and as we met with Hillcrest staff, we just started, so Hillcrest is another homelessness ministry, um, looked in some ways that we could serve there and did, we started doing an apartment sponsorship, and so I'm in a mentor relationship with a girl there that we um, help, help her, so doing that. So I've had the uh, privilege of serving on uh, board services a part of CASA of Johnson and Wyandotte counties. Uh, and if you're not familiar with CASA, it stands for Court Appointed Special Advocates as a part of the, uh, the foster care system. If you know much about the foster care system, uh, it's very volatile, volatile, a lot of turnover from a caseworker perspective. Um, foster kids are constantly in and out of different foster homes. Um, everyone who's speaking into that particular foster child's case sort of has their own individual objectives. Um, what a CASA volunteer does is they are assigned to the case by a judge and the whole intent is for that particular person to provide continuity uh, across all of the change that a foster child may be experiencing. So. Uh, it's an extremely critical role um, in the life of a foster child, um, and they, they speak in court. Uh, the judge listens to them. They file reports. Um, so, yeah, that's something I've been doing for the last three years. Uh, I got into it via an opportunity through the company that I work for. So uh, the company that I work for has a wonderful foundation that contributes quite a bit to um, several of the local nonprofits, and it was at a... At, about three years ago, I was noticing that I was spending a lot of my time outside of family and friends really inwardly focused and really focused on myself and things that I can be doing and, and uh, really spending a lot of time in prayer. And God really convicted me that, you know, David, you got to be a better steward of your time and money. So that's when I reached out to the foundation at our work um, and talked about some of the things that I was really passionate about. Youth has been big for me, especially after having our daughters um, and children. So a couple opportunities were presented, and CASA was one of them. 
and uh, I jumped on it. I'll tell you I had a lot of apprehension initially about being on the board of something because when I walked in, several of the board members have real tangible skills like law degrees, HR professionals, military leadership, accounting. Um, I have none of those things. So a uh, little bit of imposter syndrome, but it's been really good to be a part of the organization and um, feeling like I have been able to contribute over the last three years. Wanted you to hear that there's like a wide range there and did you catch like oh my friends were involved in this so we started doing respite care there or the church announced this so we stepped towards that or my company had this uh what i love about what you guys are saying is you just had your eyes open some some small things and some not so small things i love that you're just seeing what's what's around you thank, thank you talk for a second about what's been hard uh you've got little kids uh some of the stuff you're naming like when you start i'm like that's really significant man that's a lot to do um, talk about some of the challenges uh, that you've experienced over the years and maybe even as, as a couple because uh, you guys are involved in some different kinds of things. Yeah, so I'll, I'll talk about some of the practical things and Tori can get in some of the deeper challenges that she's experienced, uh, specifically working with Hellcrest. But <clears throat> it's pretty straightforward. I mean, we're, we're no busier than any other young family with a couple kids. So it's really a lot of alignment just around planning our time, being very... There goes my cell phone. Being very intentional uh, around how our time and our schedule is being used. Uh, Tori is very heavily involved with Hillcrest. I'm very heavily involved with CASA. That obviously we compete for budget within our family as well. So just aligning on how we're going to be spending our money. Um, Tori has been incredible just uh, helping me in, in my efforts and, and outreach and getting people involved in special events at CASA. Um, has done, and I try to support where, where she can, but it's really just making sure that we're communicating well uh, and in alignment on things that we're doing uh, individually. Because there's limited time. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. What would you add to that, Tori? Um, I just put some things, like I put our house is rarely clean. <laughs> and is is organ it really clean or rarely clean? Rarely. <laughs> rarely. It's really clean. It's not really clean. Yeah. Such a sacrifice it's to have. <laughs> it's rarely as clean. <laughs> Is, um, I think either of us would ever really like for it to be or is organized. So that's one of the places that we just kind of tend to, I, I don't know, it just falls off and it, it just is what it is for right now. Um, we definitely don't rest much on the weekends. Uh, I mean, we do and we don't. I feel like we both feel like we're at a good place where we're not overstretched, but it's just not a lot of downtime, I guess. But it's it's been okay. Um and things kind of tend to come through waves, too. But um, I also just put, like, it's difficult walking with people, not seeing progress that you might hope to see, especially, like, when you work in hard places and that go into the darkness. Um, sometimes we do and sometimes we don't. And kind of with Hillcrest, um, I never really worked a lot with refugees. And so that's, like, this whole new world, and it's kind of a very frustrating world to like step into and see like laws that are like really protective of some people and oppressive of others and then um, that's hard. And so I also just put like, we've had friends who have raised foster children and seeing like them fall into cycles that we, I think they kind of hoped they were gonna help them come out of, but just seeing some of those self-destructive things kind of cycle through. Um, and just put, I'm really grateful for the words, like, do not grow weary in doing good, um, 
because there is that is the pitfall. Like you could just fall right into that because there's constantly hard things around us that we're walking through. So, hey, thanks for naming that. Because if we were in it for like feeling good about ourselves, what you're saying is, I often don't feel like I'm making a difference, or I don't feel like there's this win that I walk away from a weekend and it's been wonderful. It's often hard. So there's a kind of suffering involved in some of that sacrifice. And and I don't think it violates trust. You guys share with me just the just in your marriage, you're like, man, what are we going to do with this? You mentioned just schedule and, and economics, but like those are passionate conversations about desires you have and trying to work out how do we focus as a church. Thanks for painting a realistic picture for us because your, your resume is like, whoa, that's amazing. And then to hear, oh, on, on the ground, it actually is challenging and there's some lack of rest and there's some real questions that you guys are wrestling with. You're not superhuman and you're really special. You're normal. Mm-hmm. That's good to hear some of those things. Okay, as we close, um, let me just ask you this question. We've been talking about this for a while. It's overflow of being in Christ. Like, if people are eager to take a step or they're, they're wanting to do something, what advice would you give of, like, how to get started? Because, um, again, you guys are involved in some things that are pretty significant, but there have been some baby steps along the way. What advice would you give to the room of how to get started or to take a step towards being outward-facing? What would you say to our room? So the channels to engage are really all around us. Um, you talked a little bit earlier about listening, but you know, I, I have a great group of guys that I meet with every other week, um, and every one of them is involved in some way or the other. It's not something that they're constantly talking about. So if it is something that's on your heart, I mean, just ask people, intentionally engage in conversations like that, and you'll find that the opportunity is all around. I know there's a ton of uh, incredible work and things that everybody in this room is engaged in. So just listen and be intentional about uh, those conversations. And then it can sometimes feel a little bit uh, like the barrier to get involved can seem very steep sometimes. But frankly, if you talk to any organization, they, I mean, they run so thin and the margins are so small that they're always willing for just any time you're able to give. Um, so any sort of volunteer opportunity, um, no matter how, may, how small it may seem to you, is actually uh, quite a big, um, a big deal. Uh, can make a really good impact. So you don't have to jump right in and be a CASA volunteer who is putting in 10 to 15 hours a week of time. You can be doing you know, the one-off opportunities and then potentially as you get your feet wet, you kind of grow into it. So you can start small. Think all or nothing, think right. some steps. And I love with your, like your deal was through work. Mm-hmm. It wasn't through the church, it wasn't through um, some other nonprofit. It was your, your company had a mechanism to be involved. Uh, that's really beautiful to think about what's already around you. Yeah. What would you add when you think about next steps uh, and encourage the room? I think just same thing. We could, there's small things that could be done at Hillcrest or I'm sure any other ministry, Freedom Hoops, House of Hope. Um, Cards of encouragement is something that they're always looking for for residents, just writing notes that they give to families as they welcome them into the program. Uh, Dropping off food, meals, personal care items to the shelter. We all go to the grocery store, so like maybe picking up an extra bag of something when you're there and just taking it someplace. Um, I put... Uh, just thinking of the God-given gifts that you already have that you can use. So at Hillcrest, they need people to do financial planning, um, cooking classes, uh, maintenance. Like if you're a handy guy and you want to go work on their buildings, I'm sure they'd be happy to have you come and do that. 
Um, and so I think there's small ways and then maybe more specific ways that you can use your gifts to like really be there serving um, families. Hey, would you give them a hand? Thank you. Thank you. Hey, I love that we sang that song, This Is My Father's World, and I hope you're hearing in that, like, the kingdom of God is all around. And at the center of his kingdom is this cross where he died in our place. The outward-facing God made a way for us to be in relationship with him. This is the good news of the gospel. I want us to make application now from what I shared, what they shared. I wonder what you might bring to Jesus and ask for his help with. Uh, we're going to move towards communion because it reminds us it's not in doing good things or being outward facing that we're right with God. It's what Christ has done that makes us right with God. So for Christians, communion is a reminder that he died in your place uh, to make it possible for your sins to be forgiven. We tear a piece of the bread off and we dip in the cup to celebrate that. If you're not a follower of Jesus, it's a chance just for you to sit and pray. There's some prayers in the back of your bulletin that would give you some examples of what it would sound like. But you could ask God to speak to you, uh, ask him to show himself to you. Ask this outward-facing God who came into our world and died in your place. Ask him to come close to you now, even in this room, and maybe you would trust him this morning. There'll be folks here in the front pew who love to pray with you or pray over you. So if you want to respond that way, Christian or non-Christian, I would invite you to do that. We'll take communion and we'll just bring our hearts to God now as we engage. Let me pray for us and then we'll sing together. Jesus, we ask for your help now as we think about how to join you on your mission and at the center of that mission was you sacrificing yourself. So there's a lot of hope. Uh, there's a real opportunity for change and transformation. There's a chance for forgiveness and for healing. So with all the stuff we're feeling, would you help us now in the room to engage these truths? Uh, we ask in Jesus' name. Help us have hearts that match your heart, even while we're nourished by the reminder of your broken body and shed blood. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, come when you're ready.